Open your Bibles to John, specifically chapter 6. We're working our way through the entire book of John, and it's been amazing to camp out every single week um, in a passage and kind of take a deep dive into uh, the person, the man that Jesus was here on earth while also recognizing his deity, the fact that he is God. And today we're going to look at one of the first of seven I am statements that Jesus makes in this book. They're called the I am statements uh, because they kind of pull back a a curtain onto Jesus' glorious character, right? And if you think of the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, God gave the name when Moses asked, what is your name? Who should I tell them sent me? He says, I am. I am sent you, Moses. And so Jesus is kind of imparting that part of uh, the fully God, fully man, but he's claiming the I am of God in these statements, and uh, they're all extremely significant. So what I want to do to get our context this morning is I want to read our whole passage straight through, and then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump in and spend our time this morning pulling out some significant truths that we can apply to our lives today. All right, so we're going to read through 36 verses. Stay with me, starting in John chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? 
But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Let's pray. God, there's so much here in this passage, uh, so much of who you are and so much of, of how you work and, and move in our lives and, and the plan of salvation and the fact that you love us enough to give us bread of life. God, I pray that today, uh, in just these few moments we have together, that we would see clearly how we can eat and drink of you. Give us that opportunity now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have this friend uh, who likes to play a game in a, in a group of people where he asks kind of this random um, open-ended question just to kind of stir up discussion and debate and you just kind of see, you know, people's personalities come out. And uh, I remember the first time I was, I was with him and he did this. He, we were just kind of sitting in a group and he, hey, hey guys, I have a question for you. If, if you could throw anything off the Grand Canyon, what would you throw? You're like, you know, like seriously like that. It was like everybody just kind of stopped talking and looked at him like, what? What are we talking about right now? And he's like, well, I mean, I would throw off a washing machine full of batteries. And now you're picturing a washing machine full of batteries just falling down the Grand Canyon, just the noise it would make and like, It'd be crazy, right? So then you're like, well, that's not that cool. I can think of something better. And like, all of a sudden, like, people are throwing, like, tanker trucks off it. And, you know, someone said a horse. And, like, everyone got real offended. And, um, <laughs> but I mean, like, it, it sparked a pretty, like, a, probably a 20-minute discussion around this question. So you're kind of like, this guy's either unhinged or he's a genius of social groups. I don't know. But then the next time, this recent, last time I was, I was with him, he goes, okay, uh, ne- next question uh, let's say you're going to prison tomorrow for the rest of your life and you have one last meal before you're going to eat prison food. Time, is, or time, location, price, all of that isn't a hindrance to you. You can go anywhere. You can have, spend any amount of money. What would you eat for your last meal? Now, again, kind of a weird question. Like, why am I going to prison? That's what I want to know. I'm like, why am I going to? Can we discuss that for a second? Can I appeal anything? Like, can we figure that? And it's like, but then you start thinking about, Okay, I get Because now no longer, this is now like, oh, I'm kind of hungry for this. Or even like, I have a loyalty to a certain restaurant or food chain. This is about the most satisfying meal you've ever had in your life. Because you want that again. You want to have the most satisfying meal before you're eating prison food for the rest of your life. So it, it kind of had me thinking, right? And I had to just kind of say, I don't know if I have eaten anything that's worthy of that answer. I'm 30 years old, right? Uh, I just turned 30 this, this uh, July. I'm super old, I know. 
And uh, so let's just negate the first year of my life and say I, I drank only milk in that first year. 29 years of at least three square meals a day. I mean, I'm not like shy around the food is all I'm saying. Like, so just calculating that. So that's 31,755 meals. Don't get out your calculators. I did it this week. It's right, okay? 31,755 meals I've eaten in my life. At least. None of them do I feel like is like the most satisfying meal I've ever ate. And what's crazy to me is that if meal number 31,756 was the best meal that I had ever eaten in my entire life, you know what would happen just probably a few hours later? I'd be hungry again. Some of you were thinking like the end of digestion, weren't you? You're like, yeah. <laughs> That's true, but that's true. And what's crazy about that, think about this. You could spend $100 on a piece of steak or $5 steak. They both look the same in a few hours. That's all I'm saying. So at the end of the day, the most satisfying food that you've ever eaten, you will wake up the next morning hungry, ready to eat again. The problem I think that we have a lot too in America is uh, we have so many options. You think about this too, like uh, have you ever heard this maybe uh, at work or something, someone skips lunch or you skip lunch and then you're talking to friends and you're like, hey, let's grab dinner. I'm starving. I'm starving. Really? You're starving? <laughs> you're starving. But we just like, we want it. We want to be satisfied with what we put inside of our bodies, what we consume Just a little fact about me. I'm not a, a picky eater. Um, I'll eat anything once, and if you take me to a restaurant that's terrible, um, I'll just order something different at the same restaurant. Like, I don't care. I'll just keep trying. Like, it's food. Um, I'm not afraid. My wife, however, is what we'll call adamant about her food choices. Like, um, she knows what she likes, and she knows what she doesn't like. And uh, so, in the six years we've been married on date night, I don't think I've ever once uttered the words, I'm in the mood for, because it doesn't really matter what I'm in the mood for. <laughs> and I don't, I, I don't really have a mood. I like, I'm, food is my mood, right? Like, it's good. <laughs> I'm in food mood all the time. So I've always, I ask my wife this question a lot. I say, hey, what are you hungry for? What are you hungry for? So I want to ask you that question this morning, church. What are you hungry for? And I think we're going to see in John chapter 6 that there's something very specific that we can be hungry for. And it's not physical. Jesus doesn't talk a lot in the physical realm. He speaks a lot in the spiritual. So here's the big idea for today. The big idea for today is real life is not found in what you consume physically. It is found in who you consume spiritually. Let me say that again. Real life is not found in what you consume physically. It is found in who you consume spiritually. Look at verse 35 again. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Again, this is the first of seven I am statements that Jesus makes throughout the gospel, and this one was a doozy for people to try to get their heads around. Remember, right before this, we have an account of Jesus feeding the 5,000. So now Jesus has like an entourage of people following him with his 12 disciples. 
And these people would claim to be following Jesus, and they are physically. They're following Jesus for a few reasons. One, they just got a free meal, and it'd be kind of nice if that kept happening. Number two, they, they want Jesus to meet their physical needs. He's healing people. He's supplying things through his miracles. So they want their physical needs met. And then number three, hanging around Jesus means they get to see some pretty cool stuff. They see him like stomp all over the Pharisees all the time. They see him, you know, do these miracles and accomplish things. They're kind of getting a spiritual high from being around Jesus. They're thrill seekers, not truth seekers, as John MacArthur would put it. I've got to say this is kind of accurate compared to today in 2019. There are people who are following Jesus for a handout to see what he can do for them and because they want the feeling of a spiritual high. That's why there's a crowd. But we quickly see that Jesus isn't interested in a crowd of spectators. He wants devoted followers. And as he's teaching the people about the bread from heaven that will give life to the world, in verse 34, they interrupt him pretty much. And they say, sir, give us this bread always. And that prompts him for the first verse of our passage today to say, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And then in the next uh, four verses, he's going to kind of give his, his resume a little bit, how he operates, and um, his two main points are this. He came from heaven to do the will of the Father. That's his mission. That's his purpose. And you can only come to Jesus because of the will of the Father. Now, there's a lot we could unpack there in those first two statements, but the thing I want you to focus on is that the first action of our role in this story of salvation is to come to Jesus. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger. Verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Our part in this story is to come. And there's kind of a a cause and effect relationship present with Jesus establishing himself as the bread of life and calling us to action. And you see it right away in verse 35. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. So this is the point. When you come to Jesus, your appetite changes. When you come to Jesus, your appetite changes. You no longer hunger for things that don't last. The world and all that it offers you, it tastes a little bit different. I love my wife, so I'm going to use her as another illustration. She's, uh, she's fully pregnant with our third child right now. Fully pregnant. Like ready to not be pregnant. And um, she said, you can, you can tell them that I'm, I'm ready to pop. Those were her words. Like, just tell them I'm ready to pop. But, like, I, we were kind of talking in for all of our kids so far, she hasn't really experienced the, like, cravings of, like, you know, in the movies, they have, like, the pickle and they dip it in the ice cream type of cravings. Like, I've never seen that. That's never happened. But food aversions, that's a real thing in our household, where things that maybe didn't bother her, weren't a big deal before, now, like, just invoke disgust, 
stain, like we hate it, don't put this like vegetables. And I'm like, I'm right there with you, sister, like let's not do vegetables. Just no vegetable, all the carbs, no vegetables. But it's just funny to me how like your appetite can change and how things that happen in your life will kind of shift. And Jesus is telling this group that when they come to him and eat the bread of life, it's all going to change for them. He references throughout their relatives eating manna in the wilderness. I think this is significant because the people were following Jesus because of the physical food that he had provided for them. And so he's relating back to their ancestors who received physical food, bread literally from heaven, as a miracle to supply their needs. And he's saying, yeah, this, that miracle was even cooler. Like, I took some loaves that already existed and just, like, kept multiplying them. This literally just, like, fell from heaven for your ancestors. And guess what? They ate it. You know what happened? They died. So I can keep supplying you with physical needs, but at the end of the day, you're going to die. And then what? And what does he say? Verse 49. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. He's saying stop craving the physical. Real life is not found in what you consume physically. It is found in who you consume spiritually. And when you come to Jesus, your appetite changes. And when your appetite changes, you start eating different stuff. I'm fascinated by the progression and the journey of the food industry over like the past 100 years, especially since World War I and the, just the introduction of like processed foods into our society. The, the American diet has changed drastically over those years. And I'd say just within the last decade, we've seen a major shift away from what was taught for so long as like this is a balanced, healthy diet. And now there are so, I mean, like you, like, you can get lost on the opinions and the plans and the things and the initiatives and the nutrition challenge and everything, like so many things that you could do. Well, it should be this, like, oh, it's this. Eat bread, don't eat bread. Eat cheese, don't eat cheese. You know, it's just everywhere. But I think we can all kind of agree, right? I think we can all come, you know, I'm not looking to like make sides or anything, but I think we can all kind of stack hands on the fact that if you, you know, are, steady diet of sugary soda and processed fast food is not the healthiest choice you could make, right? Can we just like agree, agree on that, right? I think we've all kind of arrived to that conclusion at this point in society. But what I'm fascinated by, and this is, I'm just talking specifically about myself, what I'm fascinated by is like the facts don't matter. When I make decisions, they're not driven most of the time by the facts. When I pull up into a McDonald's drive-thru, I'm not thinking, this is a well-rounded meal for me right now. What I'm thinking is, you know what sounds good right now? Quarter pounder with cheese, right? That sounds real good right now. It's what I feel. It's what I want. I have a physical need and I want it met. I'm not thinking about what it's actually doing for me. Like, I'm pretty sure I'm lactose intolerant to some degree, whatever that means. I don't know what that means. So, but I love ice cream. I love it. I love ice cream. And so I find myself at a crossroads a lot with ice cream of am I going to eat the ice cream or am I not? And you're like, Brent, you should try like almond 
milk ice cream or cashew milk. And I say, nuts can't make milk, so I'm not going to live a lie with you <laughs> of like, whatever. No, it's not the same though, right? I've had it. It's not the same, okay? It's just not. So I have to decide. I have to do this. I have to decide. Am I going to willingly make a decision that I know it's not the best for me? I know it's not. I know the facts. I've seen it. I've seen the studies. I've watched the documentaries, whatever you want to do. I know, but am I going to actually live it? Do I willingly make a decision that I know isn't the best one for me, or do I choose something different? But what if instead of just avoiding bad decisions, I intentionally made good decisions? Now we're talking about something else altogether. That's what people do who have a bigger why than just their food mood. That's forward thinking. That's what an an athlete would do because they believe that their sport, their performance, is more important than the donut that sits right in front of them. Now, hear me on this. I'm not trying to twist this message and make it about nutrition and say that you can't eat a donut. Donuts are in heaven. They're calorie-free, okay? (laughs) It's, It's true. But what I am trying to say is take it to the spiritual. When you consume things physically, and that's all you have. But when you consume things spiritually, that you shouldn't, that you don't need to. You will always be hungry. So understand this next cause and effect statement. When you feed on Jesus, when you feed on Jesus, you're completely satisfied. Verse 53 So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread that the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. When you feed on Jesus, you're completely satisfied. Feed on Jesus. I mean, that just sounds weird. Can we admit that? Sounds weird, but if you grew up around church, like, you just kind of roll with it. Like, if I were to stop and pray and be like, God, thank you so much for your blood. Uh, we just thank you for the blood, Jesus. And I said, amen. You just, like, that was, that was normal. Dude, if I go downtown Rochester right now, stop somebody on the street, and I'm like, hey, uh, real quick, there's, a, there's this dude died, like, 2,000 years ago. He wants you to drink his blood. Stay with me on this, right? No, dude, I'd get admitted, right? That sounds, that's crazy talk. That's so weird. But we understand it as church people, as believers in Jesus Christ, as followers, because we understand the table of communion. We understand the like, I'm going to eat the bread and, and drink the cup, and it represents his body and his blood. But what I, I don't want you to think is that this is a communion passage, because Jesus hasn't had the Last Supper with his disciples. He has not instated the ordinance of communion yet. And so what he's referring to is not about a physical eating and a remembrance, an ordinance. What he's saying is that you have to abide in me. You have to have me inside of your life in a way that it's like you have my body, you have my blood. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever.
Here's another big idea I want you to take away. If you're hungry for everything but Jesus, you'll always be hungry. If you're hungry for everything but Jesus, you'll always be hungry. But when you feed on Jesus, you're completely satisfied. So how do we do it? We know it's not a a literal eating of of flesh or drinking of blood, so how do we feed on Jesus? Great question. Here are three simple ways to feed on Jesus. Number one, read his word. Read his word. I mean, we're doing it right now, right? I mean, it's one of the reasons we take time in our services to open the Bible and to learn together. Because we leave full Right? We leave full, but listen, like if you're relying on a spoon feeding from your pastors, you're going to be hungry again in a couple hours. You will be. You'll be satisfied in this moment, but you will be hungry again to feed on Jesus. And if I'm not there, Steve's not there, people aren't there to spoon feed you that and you don't know how to do it yourself, you're going to be hungry. That's why we want a Bible in your hands. So you can eat it for yourself. You can filter everything I'm saying because it's right there. Don't just eat everything I put on your plate. Filter it through the word. Is that actually in there? Francis Chan has a famous quote where he says that he wants people to walk away from sermons going, that didn't look that hard. I could have done that. All he did, he just read it. It was right there. That's it. If you walk away from this thing, oh, that was a clever message, man, all this all that, about the person who is standing up here speaking, then you're missing the point of why we're even in the room together. We're supposed to leave full so that we can go out and show others how to live for Christ and how to feed on Jesus. We're supposed to feed others. So you need to learn how to feed yourself. Jeremiah fifteen sixteen says, Your words were found and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. Read his word. Number two, talk to him. These are simple, church. Number two, talk to him. St. Augustine says this, Prayer is also called the food of the soul because the body cannot be supported without food, nor can the soul be kept alive without prayer. And I would argue that this is an area where most followers of Jesus are malnourished. We think and we wonder and we stress and we complain and we ask other people and so little of our energy goes to talking to the God of the universe. I spend five morning, minutes one morning in prayer and I see no change in my life so I don't think it's, it's valuable. That's like saying, hey, I'll have one Brussels sprout for dinner and if I don't have a six pack, then it's not worth my time. It's the same thing. I eat clean for three months. I'm going to see a major difference in in my body. You spend three months of five minutes in prayer consistently every single day, I guarantee you, you will see a difference in your life. Jeremiah 33.3 says, God, call to me and I will answer you and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. Talk to him. Last one, number three, do his will. Jesus said earlier in John 4, verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. You will never be more satisfied than when you are doing the will 
of God, when you are building the kingdom, when you are operating within his mission of making disciples, because he has gifted you and called you to be a part of a holy work that is unlike anything else you could attach your life to. And that's, that's the beautiful, messy thing about the church. Is that it's not about a, a pastor or a name or a sermon or a worship leader. It's about the people of God. That's why Opportunity Sunday is a thing for us. It's not just, hey, we have these list of roles that we've deemed necessary and you need to fill them or we're somehow failing at our jobs. What we're saying is that there is a unique, holy, mysterious opportunity within the church for you to unlock something within yourself that God has implanted in you from the day of salvation and you can pour it out to other people. Because what happens is every week when we set the table of the meal of Jesus, Jesus, Jesus over everything, when you're not in your chair, we're missing a piece of the, of the family dinner. And what we're saying is, man, I don't have that insight. When you sit there and you don't sing, we're missing your voice in the chorus of the worship of the Almighty. When you don't take notes and lean into the message, we're missing your insight that you could pour out onto someone next to you. And when you don't use your time and talent and treasure to pour out on those around you every Sunday morning, shouldering weekly kingdom responsibilities, we are missing out on a beautiful, tasteful piece of God's meal. For this church. So don't, don't lean in because you were coerced into doing something. Don't do something just because I'm standing up here kind of passionate and fired up right now. I'm fired up because I found complete satisfaction in Jesus. I was empty and I was hungry for a long time. And when I decided to sit in the seat at the table, grab my fork, grab my knife, and just dig into the meal that God was feeding on me and say, hey, God, I only want to feast on you. I only want to know who you are. I want to make you famous over anything else. I was more satisfied than anything I'd ever tried before. Do his will, and you will feed on Jesus and be completely satisfied. But here's the sad, stark reality of this, friends. Some people will walk away from that opportunity. One of the One of the scariest verses in the Bible to me is verse 66 of John chapter 6. 666. I mean, I'm not superstitious. I'm a little stitious, but. Some of you you just getting it. Verse 66. After this, after this, after all of this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Now this is a, it's a different group than just the crowd or the Jews that were mentioned elsewhere. This was a group of people who had attached themselves to Jesus and identified with him. That translation of that word disciple is not quite the, the true disciples, the twelve, but it is people who would say, hey, this is my rabbi, this is my teacher, this is my lowercase lord. Yeah, I follow Jesus, I'm with him. He's good. He's good for some stuff. I've seen some cool things. I'll keep following him. And then once the call to follow him got too hard, it required too much, they said, nah, that's my exit. <laughs> I can't do that. Never mind. Church, that should terrify us in a holy way. You're here today, but do you truly believe 
See, the response of Jesus in verse 67, so Jesus said to the 12, his inner circle, his, his guys, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answers him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Point number three, here's the last cause and effect for our time today. When you believe in Jesus, you are transformed forever. Peter is saying, what what else would we do now, Jesus? We can't ever go back to the way that things were. Our lives are completely different. I just described a little bit of that moment for me, but have you ever had that moment? 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Jesus changes everything. When you come, feed, and believe, I feel like I relate so much to the disciples because my life, it was on one trajectory. And then I had a, a real encounter with the love and grace of Jesus Christ, and it like completely shifted my life. I couldn't, I, I, didn't have, I didn't have a different choice. I had to go that way. There was no going back. It just wasn't the same. I think sometimes I, I try to get back on that old path. But it's like, it's, dude, it's like this. It's like eating KFC when there's a Chick-fil-A next door. No, like think about it. You're standing there and you're like, what am I, why am I here? It's right there. It's, I mean, like it's not even, unless it's Sunday, but then we'll just wait till Monday. Like it just doesn't, like it doesn't compare. It's not even in the same level. We're not even playing on the same field when it comes to the life that I have in Christ and what I had before. I will never be satisfied with anything else. You are transformed forever when you believe in Jesus. It doesn't mean you won't have to fight against old temptations and cravings. But it won't satisfy when you indulge in them. That old life, that old thing you used to do, that old thing that would pop up and you never knew how to deal with it, it will never satisfy again. Because your eyes will be opened to what is true satisfaction. So come to Jesus, feed on Jesus, and believe in Jesus, and find the bread that gives eternal life. Real life is not found in what you consume physically. It is found in who you consume spiritually. So two application questions from our our main question today. What are you hungry for? Number one is this. What are you feeding on? What are you feeding on? What needs to change in your spiritual diet this week? I want you to make a plan to, to read his word, talk to him, do his will. I'm telling you, it will change your life. Get specific. Uh, Start a reading plan. Commit to five minutes of prayer a few times a week. Join a serving team next week. Just sign up. I can serve once a month, once a quarter. I'll I'll just show up. And then I want you to make a commitment and then tell someone. Small group. If you're in a small group, tell your small group. This is a commitment I made. Small group leaders, hear me on this. Ask your people, what was, what was your commitment? 
We'll have a prayer team up front here at the end of the service. Come up and be like, hey, here's where I committed. I'm not in a small group yet. I just want someone to know this is what I'm committing to. Or there's somebody sitting next to you right now that you're going to see later this week. Tell them right after the service. We're going to have a, a moment here where you can just say, hey, here's what I committed to. The second application is this. Would you come and believe? Would you come and believe? Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. First you come, then you believe. You have the opportunity to have the bread of life today. Your appetite will change. You'll find complete satisfaction and you'll be transformed forever. So I'm going to pray. And if you want to come and believe in Jesus Christ today, you can pray with me. All right? Let's pray. God, thank you for the power of your word that shapes us and and shows us where true life is. God, we search deep and wide and we say, what is the purpose of all of this? Where can I find the most meaning and satisfaction? And time and time again, I look in your word and it's right there. It's found in you. It's when I come and I believe that Jesus is more than enough to satisfy me, fulfill me. So God, I just want to ask you if, to come into my life and to abide in me in a way that I've never had. I want to feel, God, like I know you and I live for you, that I'm, I'm, I'm close to you. So God, I want to come and I want to believe in you today. I pray that you would forgive me of the things I filled my life with again and again. The things that leave me wanting and desiring something so much more, but I find myself back at the table again and again. And I pray that you would just push those things away right now as I just feast on who you are and your love and your grace. And I pray that I would receive it So God, I'm choosing to come and believe today that I might know true life. I'm hungry for you and you alone. You have all of me. In Jesus' name, amen.